0: All right, I can see you love each other, that's good. Uh, well it's a great joy to be here, it's, uh, it's always a, a, a privilege to come and uh, to um, uh, be with you guys here. and. I love this city, man. St. Albans is such a cool place. It's just really awesome. It really is. You guys should be really proud of that. Um, I now live out in the country. And um, uh, we moved from the city, I mean like urban city, into the middle of nowhere in the country. And uh, I drive now a pickup truck. yes that's it yeah and uh and as as we moved out there all of a sudden i i kept thinking people were trying to tell me something was wrong with my car my truck and i kept pulling over and looking to see if something was stuck or something because because people kept like waving at me as i was driving down the road and i'm like man what's wrong and i pull out and check and then finally one of our neighbors said they're saying hi and i'm like oh really (laughs) they're like yeah we take our kids to the Walmart in town and, and this, uh, this lady meets us at the door and uh, she comes and she's like, hi, how y'all doing? How's everything going? And my kids are like, fine. <laughs> and they're, they're just looking at her and they're like, dad, does she know us? Does she go to the church or something? And one of the other boys goes, I think that's being nice. At least that's what they do. And then uh, we have our neighbors. Of course, you guys don't know anything about Please don't send me a million emails about this, okay? We live in the country. Give me grace to tell you this story, okay? So in the country, in the United States, people like to target practice with their many weapons. And so all of a sudden, my boys, we're, we're in our house, and all of a sudden, I hear, you know, I hear pop, 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 pop. I'm hearing this sound and so I walk into the living room and, and my boys are all laying flat on the ground and they're like, Dad, get down, it's a drive-by. <laughs> and I'm like, no, son, they're Target practicing next door. Those are the neighbors. And they're like, what? What is that? What are you talking about? So uh, it's been a, a, bit, a bit of an adjustment for us uh, going from uh, the city into that, uh, that part of the world. It's a whole new world. So anyway. But uh, just just to talk, just to share with you just a couple of the resources, and and I, I do this mainly just because the wonderful volunteers here at the church uh, probably have not heard or seen these materials, and it's just to explain to you so you won't be asking them a million questions that they don't have answers for. But uh, one of the series that we have out there uh, called Empowered to Heal, this is um, Randy Clark. How many of you have heard Randy? Anybody heard Randy? Let me tell you something that was so cool. Randy actually is going to be at Trent uh, Vineyard, and I think. In May, I think it is. Um, but Randy, uh, Randy's been a real mentor for me, and uh, he's he's just such an incredible guy. There is nobody that teaches sort of the original classic Wimber Vineyard uh, Healing One Hundred One Two Hundred One like Randy Clark. I mean, like, and just nobody that I know out there uh, who still who still does it just that classic way. And so that's his teaching on here, and then mine is. Uh, my take on it and my teaching, especially, of course, as it is related to uh, evangelism and and sort of out-on-the-street sort of method and and practice. But anyway, we did a conference together. This is a seven-DVD set called Empowered uh, to Heal. And then I also have Empowered Evangelism, which is a six-DVD set. This is about eight hours of teaching on healing, deliverance, breaking demonic power, uh, prophetic words, ministering manifest presence where people encounter and, and experience God's manifest presence that you pray for them. Um, and that's, uh, again, about, a, 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 about eight hours of teaching on that. We have copies of the movie, uh, the movies, sorry. Uh, we've got Finger of God, Furious Love, and, and the deluxe versions of those, and Father of Lights, and of course, Holy Ghost is the latest one. Holy Ghost 2, which I, I, I'll be in uh, that next one, is coming out. It's not called Holy Ghost 2. I keep trying to get Darren Wilson to call it Holy Ghost Reloaded. <laughs> I think that's a better name for it, but I can't remember what he's calling it. Anyway, I always forget the titles of them, but uh, anyway, it's coming out. This one's really cool because it's got my friend Lenny Kravitz in it and him. uh, That guy has, I I can't wait until he like, someday shares like his full incredible testimony. He has a really powerful testimony and it's got the guys from corn in there. And them. you know, they're just fireball preachers now. Uh, It's really cool, Fieldy and Brian. And then also back there, this is something that if, if anybody has been with part of the vineyard for a long time, if you're not it, it, mentioning the vineyard, it's not to exclude anybody, but uh, this is uh, Lonnie Frisbee's message that he preached Mother's Day, 1980. We've only got about four or five copies of this back there. But I'm telling you, if you haven't heard it, you should hear it. It's really powerful. It's the one where John Wimber is sitting on the the keyboard and he is just like frozen on the keyboard. He's looking and he has no clue what's happening. And I love how they tell about that. I mean, he knows it's God, but he's just blown away. And of course, we know after that, that sort of just you know launched uh, Lonnie and John, which ended up you know being just John into a really powerful ministry. And then real quick, we have we do usually have some audios of this. We're out of them. The past two places I've been, they, they bought them out. But uh, we have, I think three of these sticks left that have every video teaching, Uh, that I have ever done, you know, uh, that that all of these that I just mentioned, plus others that are on one stick, it's about, it's less than 40% of what it would be to buy all of them individually. It's about, uh, I think it's about 20 gigabytes or something like that. So it's got a lot of stuff. You can transfer them to your phone or your iPad or your eyewear or eye mask or (laughs) eye something. Uh, But anyway, those are back there. Is Maria here? Is Maria in, in here? She got there. You are. Thank you, Maria. She's helping me out here. I Appreciate that so much. It's, uh, you know, in talking about people experiencing God's manifest presence, we've got this um, this guy with moving to this, this new airport. It's really interesting because there's this uh, this guy named Jason who works for him. I, I now, within a short period of time, have gotten to know all of the staff at the airport because it's a tiny little airport compared to Chicago O'Hare's airport. And um, so this guy, Jason, who works at the American Airlines uh, counter, um, uh, they, all the guys there uh, th- that are part of the airport staff, they've seen all the movies, they've read my book. Matter of fact, we, what they were talking about, they were like, yeah. And one of the guys goes, he goes, oh, I was the last one to read your book. And he goes, but I finally read it. He goes, he says, it took me a while because we keep it in the bathroom back there by the toilet. And he said, so I finally got through it. And I was like, yeah, thanks for that encouragement. you keep my... <laughs> Put by the toilet. Uh, but anyway, uh, they've, they've, they were, you know, were kind of giving feedback. And so this one guy, Jason, he was really going through a really hard time. And he kind of opened up and started sharing with me. And I prayed for him because he wasn't a Christian. He uh, had really very little knowledge uh, about Jesus. And, and so I told him, I said, you know, Jason, can I just pray for you that you would just experience, you know, Jesus' love and his passion? Because I said, he loves you so much. And he goes, yeah, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love if you pray for me. And we're just standing there at the counter, and there's, uh, there's a bit of a cube, but, but, the, but there's another one of the employees out there, so they're kind of manning it. And so he was like, go ahead. He goes, you know, just pray for me. And I, it, he was probably thinking he was gonna be quick, and, and I always usually in those settings try to be quick. But I started praying for him, and I looked, I looked down, and, and his eyes were kind of open, you know, as I'm praying, and I look down, and I just see his, his fingers start to move a little bit. And I'm like, oh boy. And so I'm like, okay, this is good. But I always, I always kind of position myself a little bit in front of the person because of what happened. And as I started to pray, he looks, he looks up at me and he goes, I don't think I can stand anymore as he starts to go back. <laughs> and so I just reach up. And the one of the reasons why I moved to the front of him is I just reach up and I grab I uh, both of his wrists. And so, because I've always found that's a good fallback position to go. And so, I just ease him to the ground, and he's like the whole time his eyes are getting bigger and bigger as he's going to the ground. And so, he's laying on the ground, and he goes, "Why can't I move? What's going on? Why do I? Why am I on the floor? What's happening to me?" And I said, "How do you feel?" And he goes, "Really, really good." He goes, but I don't know what this is. And I said, well, this is God. And I said, he's just loving you. And he goes, okay, but what is, the, what is the heat that I'm feeling right now? I said, that's God. I said, he's just really loving you, letting you know how much he loves you and cares about you. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, he just erupts into tears. And he said, you know, I've never felt anything like this before. And so I'm kneeling down. And of course, everybody at the counter are like, you know, backing away from us. And the supervisor comes running out and he goes, what's going on? What are you doing? What's happening? He goes, oh, Robbie. <laughs> and he just walks away and <laughs> leaves. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I, I, I continue to pray for him and, and he's just feeling this waves. And I said, you know, Jason, I said, uh, Jesus is just showing you so much how much he loves you. I said, uh, I said, how would you like to respond to Jesus? How would you like to respond to his invitation of his love. And he said, he goes, I, I don't know how to respond. And I said, well, you could say yes. You could say no. You could say, let me think about it. And he goes, well, I want to say yes to whatever this is. And I said, well, this is Jesus. And so right there we prayed and he gave his life to Jesus. And it's really cool because this Sunday, unfortunately I won't be able to be there, but this Sunday he's being baptized at our church. And so <laughs> it's so cool just to see. And he really wanted me to baptize him. And I told him, I said, dude, if you do that, you're going to have to wait till August because I, I can't be there until August. And he goes, well, I got all my family coming. And he says, so I'm just going to stick with the date and all that. And, and it's, it, it's so cool just to see he got plugged into a home group of a young man that my son had approached on the street. And a young man that was a heroin addict addict that my son led to the Lord and immediately took out and uh, started doing power evangelism with. I mean, like the guy gives his life to Jesus and five minutes later, Judah's looking at him going, okay, get a word from Jesus and give it to that guy right now. And he's like, all right, I just prayed with you. I don't even know what give a word means, you know. (laughs) And so he's sort of walking him through it. And and now he has the largest, this maybe two and a half, three years later to it. He has the largest home group in our church. And our church is uh, about 3,000 people. But he has the largest home group. And just just you know, a few years ago, he was a heroin addict who experienced Jesus by, you know, my oldest son and another boy just walking out and praying for uh, praying for people. Guys, let me tell you something. There's nothing better in the world than being a part of that, than just seeing that happen. And even just as an encouragement, we were just in... in um, another city. (laughs) Where were we at? Where's Andy's church at? Andy and and Bethan? It's not, where is it? Riverside Vineyard. Vineyard, That's right. Oh man, don't tell him I forgot. (laughs) Anyway, it was, a, it was a great church. Really loved it there. But we what we were we were there, and this this woman. We brought people up to pray who had um, I forget what they call it shoulder problems. I think it was. And they, and this woman was on the front row. And I said, if you're if you're skeptical and you just you're not sure that healing is real, you know, come forward right now. And and this woman uh, comes up. There was about 15 people who came up who needed healing and had about probably 15, 17 people who came up who were skeptical about healing. And which is you know a great place to be because then you can experience it and help get rid of the skepticism. And so they came up and this woman, she prays and, and the, the lady she's praying for, it goes down from a 10 to a five, you know, in pain and in mobility in her shoulder. And then she looks and she just, she's trying to get my attention and I finally stop, and I said, I said, yes. And she goes, she goes, I don't think she's being a hundred percent healed because I'm an atheist. And I looked at her and I said, well, I said, she's getting healed. You're praying for her, she's getting healed right now. And she goes, I know, she goes, but I'm an atheist. And I said, well, you are calling on the name of Jesus. You're praying with the authority of Jesus. Jesus is healing her right now. And she goes, she goes, but it, I don't understand. I'm an atheist. I said, let me just tell you something. I said, it's gonna be really hard for you to be an atheist at the end of the day. It's just <laughs> gonna be really hard for you to be an atheist at the end of the day. And sure enough, she came running up. To, we had a morning session, an afternoon session. By the evening session, she came running up to me and she goes, Guess what? I'm not an atheist anymore. You know, <laughs> and she had prayed and given her life to Jesus, and she was just like beaming. And, and it just there's nothing better than that. You know, who, who doesn't want to be a part of that? And it's such a privilege that the Lord offers us to do that. If you would if you have your Bibles, you could turn here or you could just read along with me or just listen to me uh, read this but but I want to share something with you because we're we're in a place, and especially I feel that you guys who are who are, are here in England are really experiencing a, a lot of this and and it's so easy to to know that you know in your society and your culture where there's so much pushback and there's so much opposition to faith i i just experienced it uh, with a couple of people that uh, I approached uh, at the market today and just uh, talked to them. And uh, one guy, you know, uh, announced to me right away when I, he said, he said, so what what are you here doing in St. Albans? And I told him, and he goes, well, I don't believe in God, so that doesn't work for me. And I told him, I said, well, let's see. I said, let me pray for you. And he goes, what do you not get that? I don't believe in God. And I said, well, I said, all that'll change if you let me pray for you. I said, because you'll experience God. And I said, the problem is, is that so many times people have probably tried to persuade you with arguments and with things like that. I said, but the reality is we get the Bible from people experiencing the reality of God. And therefore, like all the theology, all the doctrine, all the teaching comes from an encounter. And so people can't buy in unless they have an encounter. And that's the reason why that Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you know, I didn't come to you with excellent words of man's wisdom, but I came to you in a demonstration of power so that you would connect you to the father, not to me, but to the father. And so until we have that encounter with with God, until we encounter Jesus, it's going to be hard to really believe in him. And so giving them that encounter is so significant. And and, and, and you know, I, I told him, I said, so, you know, let me pray for you. And he was just absolutely, no way, no way. And I said, I understand. I said, I, I, I see that. I, I run into that. I said, but, I said, there's nothing to be afraid of in experiencing God. I said, if you can ever get past your fear of encountering God, I said, because the reality that your, your, your fear is there in order for somebody to pray for you tells you that you really do believe this. There's really a basic, you know, belief that's there. And I said, and the Lord wants to, you know, uh, you know, approach you. He wants you to encounter him. He loves you, you know? But we're in this place where we experience this opposition and there's, there's a pushback. And so I really want to encourage you with some things because I feel like that, uh, especially this, you know, passage, and it's in First Samuel 17. You, you probably know the story well for those of you who grew up in Sunday school or catechism classes, the uh, story of David and Goliath. But I, I hope to kind of shed a little bit of a different light on this for you. Uh, because of just of what it speaks of because I want to put a little focus on the identity and, and understanding what our identity is and how David's identity is being challenged here. And to sort of set the stage for that, you see David... You know, a few chapters back, he's being anointed king. Uh, Samuel comes and, and says, you know, uh, tells Jesse, his, uh, David's father, I've come. And, and, you know, Jesse has these six sons and he's coming to anoint one of them king. And it's like this incredible, uh, you know, experience. I'm sure that Jesse's ecstatic. He's excited. He comes, he lines up five of them, but he's leaving one out. And it's the youngest because, of course, in this time, you're not going to pick the youngest. It's one going to be one of the older ones, one of the more mature ones. And Samuel just goes down to the Lord and like, Lord, is this the one? Is this the one? Is this the one? And none of them are it. And then he finally looks at Jesse and says, don't you have another son? And he goes, yeah, but he's watching the sheep. You know, he's the baby of the family. He's the, you know, the one that's out in the, in the sheep pasture. He's watching the sheep. And so he says, go get him.'" And so, you know, Jesse has him sent for and brings him there, you know, before Samuel. And as soon as Samuel sees him, he goes, this is the guy that's going to be the king of Israel. This is the one that's going to be the king, the one who doesn't look like it. Now, what's interesting about this is you look at Saul, who was who the king, the, the current king when this happened, is Saul has all the appearances of being king. The Bible says he's head and shoulders taller than any man in Israel. And so he looks like king. And head and shoulders leadership always looks good. Head and shoulders leadership, the natural, uh, what's natural, what we would naturally conclude is this is the perfect person, this is the perfect one. It always looks good. It has the, the, the appearance of it. But what we see of God is God never goes based on what somebody looks like, thank you, Lord, and goes based on just what their appearances are, the skinnier people, thank you, God. <laughs> that you'll pick a more portly person, hallelujah. But that he, he picks based on what is in the heart and what's a response and what is, a, what is pliable. And so with David, he sees this, and as soon as, as, soon as Samuel sees him, he says, this is the one. He's, he's the least likely. He's the one. He's ruddy in appearance. He doesn't look like the person that would be picked, but yet God, you know, picks him and chooses him. And then uh, David's brothers go off to battle, and that's where this, picks, this uh, particular passage uh, picks up. And and he's standing and he's watching. Uh, he leaves. He leaves his. his uh, uh, you know. He leaves a cart with, with uh, uh, this guy who keeps and takes care of the food. He's bringing his brother's food for battle. He's still stuck in the in the sheep pastures. And he he comes up and he runs up to see what's happening, uh, you know, and taking place. And verse 24, it says, and soon as the Israelite army saw him, speaking of Goliath, this guy who's nine feet tall, this massive, uh, you know, horrific looking warrior, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. And again, they're seeing from the natural, so they're seeing head and shoulders, leadership. They're seeing, they're seeing what the natural depiction uh, is. And, and they all are saying to each other, have you seen this giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered this huge reward, you know, to whoever will, will go. And it's this incredible deal that he's offering to them. And David asks a soldier standing nearby, you know, what's going to be the, what's going to be done for the person who kills this, you know, Philistine. And I can't help but think in probably David's heart, he's thinking, I wonder if this is the opportunity. I wonder if this is the way that God's going to put me in that place that he's anointed me for. I just wonder. You know, we don't know what David was thinking about this, but it, it does sort of lend to that, that David was thinking that. And, these, and the, the men gave you know, David this report as to what would be done for killing him. In verse 28, it says, but when David's oldest brother Eliab heard... Uh, excuse me, Eliab heard David talking to the men. He was angry and he came to him and said, what are you doing around here anyway? He demanded. What about those few sheep that you're supposed to be taking care of? I know your pride and your deceit and you just want to see the battle. Now here's David's older brother. And here's, you know, David's older brother was passed up, you know, to go for the youngest brother. And Eliab really demonstrates what I think a lot of tension that we see happen, even in the body of Christ and even in our society, is somebody who is least likely, somebody who is, you know, what are you doing here? Who are you? And basically what Eliab's saying is, who do you think you are? How dare you come here? How dare you come and watch this? How dare you question? And where, you know, who have you left those few sheep with? Now I don't know how many of you, I, I, you've got tons and tons of sheep in this country. Have you ever sat and watched them? The most boring job on the planet has got to be watching sheep, just watching them. You know, I would imagine people who keep sheep, that's why you have those you know, stone fences to keep them in pen because it's just too boring to stand and watch sheep all day. I mean, it would just, and so he's looking at him and saying, who have you left those few sheep? Who do you think you are? And there's always that challenge. When people are going to step out and even do the things God calls them to do, there's going to be a pushback. There's going to be a challenge. Now, wait a minute, get in your place. Who do you think you are? How dare you? People, I've been amazed. And seeing people who will go and, and begin to do ministry and begin to you know pray for people and begin to my my my, my son my ten uh, year old son who's uh, who has autism you know he's he's in his class and he's praying for uh, he's praying for uh, different people he's prayed for many people he loves praying for you know healing and loves to see people healed you know when we were at Soul Survivor uh, last year year before, year before last uh, you know he he comes up on stage and he's like, dad, we need to do some healing around here. You know, it's kind of like, you've talked enough. Let's, let's, let's get the business and do some healing around here. You know, because he's experienced uh, God's healing power himself and his autism. He's been experienced the hand of God. And, and, and watching him, and he's back in his, his school, uh, you know, his teacher uh, one day, you know, she, she was, I was there with them and, 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 and having a meal with them, and all of a sudden his teacher, he looks at his teacher, and I forget her name now, but he says, he says you know, what, what's, what's wrong with you? Because her, her brow was kind of bent and she was she looked like she was in pain and she goes oh she goes Cana she goes you, uh, you you need to understand I get migraine headaches and I, I'm getting a migraine coming on now she goes I'm actually getting a substitute teacher coming in here and 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 you know and and they're gonna I'm gonna go home and the substitute teacher's gonna be here and Cana looks at her and he goes you don't need to go home he goes Jesus will heal you right now and he says can I pray for you and she goes oh Cana she goes. I I don't think you're allowed to do that. She goes, I I don't think the rules will permit you to pray for somebody for healing. And he goes, oh, Jesus doesn't care about that. He'll still heal you. (laughs) He'll still heal you right now. And he goes, let me pray for you. And he puts his hand on her and... And he just commands this, this headache to go, much how you were seeing Chris pray, you know, for, for those of you who needed healing, you know, commands the, the pain to go, commands the, the, the migraine. To, he didn't say migraine. I, I, he said a morph of that word that wasn't quite a, a migraine. But he says, I command all the pain to get out right now in Jesus' name. And he gets a little confused sometimes because we'll have him pray for dinner too. And he'll pray and he'll say, and Jesus, I just command all the pain to get out of this chicken right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> And the brothers are like, just don't pray for the chicken to be raised from the dead, okay? We want to eat the chicken, you know? And so, so he's, he's, he prays, commands, and all of a sudden she looks up, and, and I looked at her and I said, what's happened? And she goes, it's gone. And I said, what's gone? And I always do that because I want them to say it. I want them to profess it. And she goes, the migraine's completely gone. And I said, all of it's gone? I said, kind of roll your neck, check really good. She rolls her neck and she goes, it's totally gone. And I said, I said, now Jesus just healed you. And I said, in Cana praying for you and healing you, Jesus just invited you to relationship. I said, how would you like to respond to Jesus? And she goes, well, I'd have to think about that. I said, okay. I said, but every time you realize you don't have a migraine. And, and when, we, when he left that school, uh, the last I had heard from, from a, a, his other teacher that goes to our church, she had never had another migraine since. And that was in November of the last year. And by June, she had not experienced a migraine since. And so it was just so cool. But th- there's a, always this challenge where the enemy's going to come in. Wait a minute. Who do you think you are? And isn't it interesting when we do this stuff that the enemy's always coming in and challenging with, I see your pride. I see the arrogance. I see, notice that is a tactic of the enemy to back us away from the confidence of who Christ is. Our confidence isn't in ourselves. We know better than that. But our confidence is in the power of Christ because all of this is being done by the work of Jesus. This is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is his power on loan. This is him, you know, filling us and, 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 and restoring this thing that was lost of dominion uh, power that we gave away in the garden. It's being restored. But the enemy comes in and wants to always say, who do you think you are? This is the same thing that he does with Jesus when Jesus is in the wilderness and he says, if you are the son of God, prove it, prove it. Now notice this. What does Jesus always come back with? It is written. Why? Because who is Jesus? The word of God. So he's proving himself by quoting the word because that's who he is. It is written. Each time it is written. It is written. And that that is this, you know, solidifying this argument of let me, let me explain to you who I am. The word of God, the authority of God, the release of God's power. And so there's always going to be that pushback. If Jesus went through it, we're going to, be, we're going to go through it. Your neighbors are going to put you through it. Your, your, your co-workers are going to put you through it. And notice notice I love David's response. Because this challenge from his oldest brother comes and he says, you know, you just want to come see the battle. And then he says, and again, it's challenging David's identity. He's challenging David's identity. And David stops and he goes, what have I done now? And in the King James, I love how it says, he goes, is there not a cause? Is there not something bigger than ourselves here? Is there not something bigger than a sibling rivalry here? Is there not something bigger than a competition of personalities here? Is there not a cause? Is there not something worth stepping up for? This is bigger than us is what David's saying. There's something bigger here. And all of a sudden, David, let me tell you something. When the spirit is on something, you don't have to give a lot of attention to defending it. You really don't. Uh, trust me, I, 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 I've been under the scrutiny, I've been under the pushback, and, and it, 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 can just, it can totally preoccupy you and can totally just derail you. But man, if it's God, you don't have to defend God. He's a big God. He can defend himself, and he will. He doesn't need us stepping up. Just let him prove it. Let him demonstrate and show his power. Can I tell you another story, really quick? Let me just slide this one in really fast. We were at the airport, and and I better watch my time. We were at the airport, and and we were uh, it, 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 tornadoes were coming through Chicago, and so our, our flights, you know, are just totally disrupted, and, and we're not able to get out. We were supposed to arrive uh, at Heathrow on, on Thursday night. We didn't get until Friday night because of these tornadoes. I looked at my wife, and I said, I guess we're flying Air Elisha on the way, you know, the whirlwind that picked him up. I thought, I guess that's, that's our transport that's coming here, you know, to get us to take us over to England. And so, um, anyway, we get we get to this, uh, uh, we're sitting in this particular lounge and and, and waiting, and this, this these two couples start this dialogue, dialogue, and it was quite surfacey dialogue, but one of the uh, other ladies looked at the other one and said, she said to her, uh, you know, and these were two uh, very clearly by where they were sitting, they were, you know, way up in the first class, and we are back in the bleacher seats, and, and so they're, they're having this dialogue about, you know, you know, if they have to go to another plane, we're not going to take, you know, a plane where we have to be in anything, you know, we're not flying business class, we will fly in first class, and having this dialogue about it, and we're just sort of interesting." sitting in the background going, wow, that's an interesting discussion <laughs> that we'll never have. But anyway, uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, uh, this, uh, and if you fly first class, that's not a slam against you. Please don't hear it as that. Um, but uh, I've had the blessing of upgrades many times. But um, we're sitting there and just, just in, and then one of the ladies says, she goes, so what do you do back home? And she goes, well, I, I work for my church. And, uh, and I said, oh, I said, can I ask what church you work at? She tells tells us the church. And I said, that's so cool. And she goes, yeah. And she goes, I don't I don't need the job. She goes, I just love being productive. I love giving in my church. I love serving people. And I said, Man, I said, you know, that is so cool. I said, I love hearing that. And she goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I said, I, I got the greatest job in the world. I said, I get to travel around the world. I've been, you know, been in 48 different countries, equipping people, equipping the church and letting people know how much power Jesus has given to demonstrate his love and his authority on the earth. And I said, it's so cool because, you know, we have people that pray for the sick and, and them experiencing that power, give their lives to Jesus or giving words from God that bring people. I said, it's just Jesus' form of evangelism. And she goes, well, I certainly believe in the miraculous. She goes, but she goes, I, you know, I don't think you need to use you know, healing and things like that as, you know, as that type of thing. You know, that, that, that happens rarely, but it happens. I said, oh, you would be shocked. How frequently it happens. I said, you would be shocked. I said, on a daily basis that we see it happening. It's just happening all the time. And she goes, well, she goes, that can get into some real dangerous territory. And, and then this other woman, she goes, she goes, well, I got a question for you. She goes, what about Jewish people? And I looked at her and I said, well, if Jewish people pray in the name of Jesus, they can see healing happen and they can experience the reality of who Jesus is by praying in the authority of Jesus Christ and things will happen. And I said, and they'll realize, you know, that, you know, hey, Jesus was Jewish. I said, let's face it. I said, you know, God can definitely use them and can definitely demonstrate his power and invite them to the same sort of relationship. And she goes, really? And then this other woman, she goes, now, wait a minute, hang on just a second. And so all the pushback I'm getting are from these Christian people. And I'm just kind of like, all right, pipe down. Let me talk to the Jewish lady right now because she's, you know, she's a fish on the line. I'm trying to reel her in, you know. And then all of a sudden I just said, I keep getting this argument from this other side. And so I finally look at, the, at, the, at the, this Jewish lady. I said, well, I said, I tell you what, you know, we can sit here and argue about this. I said, I don't want to get into any arguments. I said, we just need to see it happen, right? I said, wouldn't that just settle the issue right there? And I looked at the lady. I said, do you have any pain in your body right now? And she looks at me and she goes, nope, I have none. And then her husband says, I do. And I got lots of it. (laughs) And I said, perfect. And he's like, And I'm like, well, you know, to illustrate this, you know, I said, perfect. I said, I said, where's your pain? I said, is it in your lower back? And he goes, yeah. He goes, it's in my lower back. And he goes, matter of fact, I was just stretching to try to relieve some of it, because I know if we get on that flight, I'm going to be in a a lot of pain once we get on that plane. And I said, well, I said, I can tell you this. I said, you're about to experience Jesus completing, completely healing your body and you will not get on that plane, you know, which I shouldn't have said that part, not get on the plane because we didn't, but. It would not get on that plane in pain. And I said, so can I pray with you? And he goes, sure. And he goes, but you, you do realize I don't believe this. And I said, you will. And I said, so I said, I said, check your back and show me where the pain, he goes, it hurts all the time. I said, well, just give me some sort of movement. And he, he arches, he goes, oh, right there. It's really bad right there. And I said, okay. I said, can I pray for you? And he goes, yes. And so I just put my hand on his back. His name was Michael. And I said, father, I thank you for healing power. And I thank you for Michael. And by the authority of Jesus Christ right now, so that Michael will know how much Jesus loves him and his cares about him and Jesus that you're pursuing him and you want a relationship with him. Right now, back, I command you to be healed. I command the vertebrates to line up. I said, are there degenerating discs? And he says, oh yeah. And I said, I command those degenerating discs right now to completely be restored by the authority of Christ so Michael will know how much you love him and that you're pursuing him for a relationship. I said, Michael, be healed right now by the authority of Jesus Christ in Jesus' name. And I looked at Michael and I said, now, I said, check your back. And he goes, well, you don't understand. He goes, this has been going on, I think he said, 18 years. And so I said, I should go ahead and check your back. And he goes, well, he goes. <laughs> and I said, if it was a 10 before, where is it at now? And he goes, it's two." And I said, so it's been healed 80%? And he goes, yeah. And I said, can I pray again? And he says, yes. Yes, you can. And so I put my hand on his back again. I said, Father, I thank you for healing power. I thank you for Michael. I said, so that Michael will know that you love him and care about him, that you want a relationship. I said, two, go to a zero. All pain, get out now. And I said, matter of fact, Michael, I said, are you having problems up in your shoulders and up in the upper part of your neck? And he said, he goes, up there are bulging discs. And he goes, and yes, they are in pain. He goes, but as you've been praying, it's been lightening up. And I said, well, let's just pray for that too. And he goes, please do. And so I just commanded all that to go and, and you know, for him to be healed. I said, now, Michael, check your back. And he gets, and he starts moving and checking. And he says, and his wife is like, <gasps> and I said, what's that? And she goes, I've never seen him move his neck that much. She goes, he's moving his neck. He's turning it. He goes, there's absolutely no tension and he said, all the pain's gone. He says, from the top all the way, he goes, it's completely zero. And I looked at him and I said, now, Jesus just invited you to a relationship, Michael. I said, he just invited you to a relationship. And I said, how? And then they called. Our flight had been canceled. And then they said, we need everybody to come to the desk so we can reschedule the flight. And I was like, "Mike," and he's like, oh, we got to get up and get these flights. And I'm like, ah. You know, it's was just killing me. So we step up there, but we have a little bit of a dialogue, you know, while we're up there. And I look at the other people and I said, so what do you think as, as, as they're standing up there too? And they're like, we don't know what to think. We don't know what to think. And let me tell you something. Even in that moment, even in that time, and, and Michael looked at me as he went to part, he reached over and he shook my hand. He goes, I've never experienced anything like that. And he goes, and he said, and if I wake up and he goes, and he goes, I, I, my fear is I'll wake up in complete pain. I said, Michael, you will not. I said, you're, you're going to be free from this and you're going to remember Jesus's invitation to you. And I said, and you need to respond to that. You need to respond to that. And let me tell you something. Whenever we see that opportunity, it is so easy to be distracted by the voices of saying, who do you think you are? It's so easy. Notice Jesus never responded to those voices. Notice Jesus never responded to those. Even at the cross, if you are the son of God, come down. If you are, you know, healer, heal yourself. Jesus never responds to those, why? Because the greater mission is what he's about. The greater purpose, the greater work that was there at the cross. Nobody could see that the cross of Christ, this torture device covered in blood was the throne of God on earth. And it's where Jesus ruled and reigned, and where he ransomed man back to God. Nobody could see that. They could only see it as absolute defeat. But remember, this is the upside down kingdom. This is the upside down kingdom. This is where the lowest are brought to the highest place. This is where those who've been cast down are elevated because that's how God works. That's how he demonstrates he's almighty God the least qualified are made qualified, not by their own efforts or merits or abilities, but by his grace that he extends to anyone who will accept it and receive it. Let me get back to David really quick. Sorry. Got to preaching. Got fired up. You guys jack me up. I get all jacked up when I'm around you people. David replied and he said, I was only asking a question, is there not a cause? And he walked over to some of the others and he asked them the same thing. And the answer spread. David's question circulates through the whole camp and goes all the way back to Saul. Now you have to understand, they're all standing at this valley and they're looking down. And down in this valley, here is Goliath coming out and taunting. He's defying the armies of the living God and therefore defying God. When the the enemy is defying the people of God, remember, we are just the representatives. His true defiance, remember when Jesus says, listen, when they go to persecute you, remember, they're not persecuting you, they're persecuting me. They don't hate you, they hate me. Always remember that when you get pushback from the enemy. When you go to pray for your neighbors, your, work, your coworkers, and there's pushback, there's, no, there's nothing against you. It is, a, it is a defiance against who Christ is. And so he stops and he says here, this question circles all the way back to Saul and, 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 and then Saul, uh, David's uh, question comes to him. And so King Saul sends for David and in verse 32, he says, "'Don't worry about the Philistine,' David told Saul, the king. He says, "'I'll go out and I'll fight him.'" I love this. Again, David's not even a part of his army. David's probably too young. David's probably not qualified. And Saul looks at him and says, Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man, he is a man of war since his youth. He's been a man of war since his youth. You're only a boy. David can't get a break from anybody, everybody's pushing back against him. Everybody's saying, what if all of a sudden you start moving with what the society, what the culture says, what the pushback is? You start listening to that and go, yeah, they must be right. And you stop listening to what God says. That's the challenge we're up against, my friends. But wait a minute, we've heard this, we've heard that. We've grown up hearing this. We've grown up hearing that. This is the way that it is. The pressure is there. May I just please tell you, The general population and the vote of your neighbors and co-workers and friends, those are not God, okay? Your boss is not God. Your job is not God. The government is not God. The BBC is not God. (laughs) News flash. I've heard several ministers that have said, but, you know, you don't understand, you know, we're getting, hearing, you know, the BBC is exposing certain ministers or they're coming after, you know, based on their stance on marriage or whatever. You know, we've got to, listen, the BBC is not God. And as soon as you start treating them like they are, you become subservient to them rather than serving the most high God. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Here David says he's he's saying to him he says listen I took care of my father's sheep And he says, and the goats and when a lion or a bear would come out and steal one of the lamb or the flocks, he says, I would go after him. I would club the lion. I would club him and I would rescue the lamb from his mouth. Any of the animals that turns on me, I would catch him by the jaw and I would club him to death. I have done this with both lions and bears, and I will do the same with this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Notice David isn't saying, listen. I'm anointed. I'm the anointed one here. You don't have to worry. I'll take care of it. No, David's confidence is in the authority and the power of the father. They are defying God. They have to in a defying the armies of Israel. They are defying God. He's outraged by this, he's he's upset, he's disturbed by this. And he says, the Lord has rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, and he will rescue me from this Philistine as well. So you can't really look at David and say he's arrogant and prideful when your confidence is in the Lord. That is a confidence in him. Saul finally consented. And he says, all right, go ahead, he said. And may the Lord go with you. Basically, Saul is looking at him and say, yes, go ahead and go up against the Philistine and may God have mercy on your soul, boy. You're about to die. (laughs) Nobody believes in David. Nobody's encouraging David. Why? Because there's a challenge in his identity. Let me tell you, my friends, that's what the enemy will come after. Who do you think you are? How dare you be so, oh, you look prideful. You look, telling that person they're going to be healed. What arrogance. Don't listen to it. Don't follow it. It's the fiery darts of the enemy coming after you. And listen what happens. Saul consents. And then he said, then Saul gave him, gave David his armor, bronze helmet, a coat of mail. And he put it and he strapped it, the sword over it and took it. And I personally think, Saul is standing there. Saul certainly isn't willing to step out and go defeat Goliath, is he? So he's like, well, if I don't go, let me put my armor on him and maybe everybody will think it's me instead. Maybe say everybody will see my courage stepping out. We don't know that. That's just, you know, me sort of exegeting into the passage there and sort of supposing that, but maybe this will happen. David looks and he, he steps out in the armor and he goes, I can't wear this. He says, I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. He says, I'm not used to them. They're not made for me. Let me tell you guys something. You cannot wear someone else's armor. You can't wear someone else's armor. If you're a husband here and your wife is a, is a believer and following Jesus, her armor is not gonna cover you. Her relationship's not gonna cover you. You have to have your own. If your parents have been followers of Jesus and, and, and you're not and you're still weighing, their, their relationship can't cover you. This is personal. We have to have our own. And we can't stand in, the, in, the, in sort of the shadows of other people's stories and miraculous experience. We have to get our own. It's great to rejoice in what God does, but please understand, anybody like me who comes along is just here to encourage you and to say, you can do this and to give you permission to go. That's the purpose of it. That's the objective. Anybody who has any sort of special gift, their number one job description is to equip everybody else to do that gift. Let me tell you something, I am not impressed with evangelists who don't raise up evangelists. I'm not impressed with prophets who don't raise up prophets. I'm not impressed with apostles who don't raise up prophets. I'm not impressed with pastors who don't raise up pastors or teachers, why? Because that number one job description is to equip everybody in the body of Christ to do that area of ministry. That's the purpose, that's the number one objective. David said, I can't go in these. I haven't proven them. So David took them off and he picked up five smooth stones from the stream and he put them into a shepherd's bag. And then he armed and, and, and then armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling. He started across the valley to go fight the Philistine. Everybody's standing on the sidelines, looking down. They're looking into this valley, watching this scene and going, Oh, my goodness, this guy is going to eat Dave, you know, for dinner. He's going to completely devour him. We are about to see a devastation and a disaster. And it says, Goliath walked out towards David with a shield bearer ahead of him. And he's sneering in contempt at this ruddy faced boy. And he says, am I a dog that you, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick And he cursed David by the names of his gods. And he says, come over here. He says, I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled at him. And David, let me tell you something again. He's he's, 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 nobody, not even Goliath. Goliath is like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? David's identity is being challenged on every front. Just like when you go to pray for somebody, the enemy's gonna say, oh yeah? You hollered at the kids this morning on your way out the door. Why would God listen to you to bring healing to somebody? You know, that person who cut you off on the road, which I notice they do often in this country. (laughs) You know, that you yelled at, then you yelled something you shouldn't, yeah. And you think God's gonna hear your prayer now? That's the voice of the enemy. Somehow saying to us that you and I could somehow earn or deserve the work of the cross. This is all by grace, my friends. None of us deserve to be used by God. That's just God's benevolence and kindness and his love for us. We cannot earn that. We can't be holy. And people are like, you must spend weeks in fasting and in prayer. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> for the first time earlier this part of the year, I fasted for 21 days. I've never fasted 21 days in my life. And, I'm, and I mean, yeah, I know what you're thinking. Yeah, you were just fasting, you know, beef. No, 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 no. It was only liquids and it was just like a glass of juice and a coffee in the morning. It was I thought I was going to die. I don't spend weeks and weeks and weeks. I haven't done that I think in a couple of years. It's been a while. You know, this isn't something that and let me tell you something. Any of that is just to say Jesus, I want more of you. It is it is not to twist God's arm to say I want more power. I want more of this. I want more. I just want more of Jesus in me. I want to experience more of Jesus. You know, it's me saying, Jesus, I want you more than I want food. And that's a big statement. <laughs> Notice this. David replied to the Philistine. He says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. He says, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of heaven and the armies of the God of the armies of Israel of whom you have defied. And he says, today, the Lord will conquer you. Notice, is there pride in this? Today, the Lord will conquer you. Today, I will kill you and I will cut off your head and I will give your dead bodies all of all your men to the birds and the wild animals And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people. Now guys, let me pause for a second. If you've heard me teach before, then you'll know where I'm going here. But what is David doing here? He's taking a risk. With each one of these statements, David is just grabbing that Valvaris. How do we spell faith? R-I-S-K. RISK. This is David cranking up the atmosphere of expectancy. This is David cranking up the risk. Just like when I say to somebody, the Lord is about to heal you so you know. People are like, well, you've had a word from God about that. No, I haven't. That's me taking a risk. That's me putting something on the line. That's me stepping out in faith and risk. I don't know. I'm just doing it as risk. And David's sitting here and he's just turning it up. And this is going to happen. This with each one of those, he's just taking it to the next level. He's just increasing that atmosphere of risk. He's increasing that risk. And I love this. And so when he finishes, then it says, and and Goliath moves towards him. And in one of of the other uh, translations of this, I think, I'm not sure if it's a message or it's one of the other translations. It says, and David ran to him in a hot pursuit. I love that. I mean, here's this guy, probably twice his size. You know, the the obstacles, nobody believes in who David is. Everybody's saying it can't be done. But David sees him approach and David just runs in a hot pursuit. Why? It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. You're going to be faced with opposition. And you know what happens. Let me just finish the story. You know what happens? David pulls out his his sling and he puts one stone and he slings a rock and it just goes and it just sinks right into Goliath's head and Goliath falls down dead flat. And then all the armies on the uh, sidelines are going, we did it! (laughs) And they all come running down. And David quickly grabs his sword, cuts off Goliath, did everything that he said. And then he says, don't let any of those Philistine armies run away. Don't let them go. And they pursue them. My friends, let me tell you something. There's a Goliath in the land. The Goliath we are up against is a Goliath called unbelief. The Goliath of unbelief, and it's pushing back. It's pushing back against the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's pushing back of the truth of who Christ is. It is pushing back and opposing the power of Almighty God. And it is going, and it is defying the living God. It is defying the reality of God. And we could sort of pull back and and just pull into a more of a proper position or pull back and, and pull more into a respectful place. Or we can stop and see when we see that opposition, here's an opportunity to watch God show up and take off the head of the Goliath. By doing what? What are our weapons of war? Love, joy, peace. This is a kingdom where love is a weapon of mass destruction. This is a kingdom where joy is a weapon of mass destruction. This is a kingdom where peace is a weapon of mass destruction. Why? Because it annihilates all the message of the enemy. It destroys his kingdom to bring hopelessness, discouragement, depression, anxiety, fear. We get to rush in and bring love, joy, peace, hope and encouragement. Oh, my friends, any time that we see that opposition, any time from here on out where you hear that, well, you don't understand. I know this is not true or this is not, and you hear that, there's the opportunity to bring the power and the presence of God. You see, the man that I approached at the market, he he didn't need healing. He goes, no, I feel fine. Everything's fine. And I said, then will you let me pray for you that you will experience the reality of the presence of Jesus Christ right here, right now. I said, it'll come and it'll touch you with tingling, electricity feeling, or heat. It'll come over you with just a weightiness. Will you let me pray for you to experience that right now? Do I know that's gonna happen? In the natural? Absolutely not. But that's what? Risk. That's stepping out into that risk, into that anticipation, into that expectancy. Oh, feel the permission to do that. Feel the permission to explore the height, the depth, the width of the authority that you have and speak with confidence because that's the authority that we move in. God is offering that to us. He's offering that to us. And we need to take it, seize that opportunity, defy the unbelief that would come against and push back against you. The only way they're going to know him is Christ in you. That's his plan. The only way they will encounter him is Christ in you. I said this the last time I was here, but how many of you have prayed for revival? How many of you prayed for a mighty move of God in your area? I propose to you that the next great move of God is sitting in your seat right now. The next revival is sitting in your seat right now. The revival that will hit St. Albans, that will hit your community is sitting in your seat right now. That's the revival God wants to use, Christ in you that's his plan oh that we would grasp that oh that we would grab a hold of that i encourage you tomorrow look at that as an opportunity look at it as an invitation please do me a favor if you're if you're here skeptical prove me wrong tomorrow go for it just prove it wrong please i beg you to all right uh, that's my close i don't really have a smooth landing on this talk it just sort of came from the gut <laughs>